Citizens NYC would like to thank our funders and supporters that help make our grants possible, including Molly Partners Livingston Foundation, Wells Fargo, Booth Ferris Foundation, TD Bank, National Grid Foundation, and all our generous donors. It's because of you that we're able to do our work. If you would like to contribute, see a complete list of our donors or learn more at citizensnyc.org. Hello, I am Dr. Rasan Harris, CEO of Citizens NYC. Citizens Committee has been around making grants in New York City that help New Yorkers improve their neighborhoods. And we're so excited to have this coupled conversation with uh, Bobby and with Shola. Bobby is one of our grantee partners that runs Dare to Dream, and Shola represents Major League Soccer. And it's major to have access to folks that are part of the larger world community, the business community of New York City that help make things go. So Bobby Akuma, can you tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do and a little bit about your love for soccer? All right. So my name is Bobby Akuma. I I came to the U.S. at the age of, I'll say, 10. And soccer has been in my life practically the whole time because my father used to play soccer. What I noticed growing up was that soccer, not just soccer, but sports in general, kept me out of trouble, especially when I was in high school. In order for me to play soccer, I needed to have good grades. So that mentality kind of grounded me where I took soccer serious to the the point that I actually wanted to play professional. But the resources and the access was not available for me. So that I needed to, you know, concentrate on my education. So what I decided is that, okay, what I'm going to be doing was that I'm going to be using soccer as a common ground to mentor the youth. So as part of that process, you have to get good grades in school in order for you to get the soccer clinics that I'm going to give you for free. Because most parents can't afford to put their kids in these soccer clinics. So I took that as an opportunity to create that common ground. So Dare to Dream uses soccer as a common ground to provide them with a mentoring um, um, program. We also bring in different speakers. Like during the summertime, we brought in um, civic engagement where they educated them on how they could get involved in voting because majority of them didn't vote. So as my way of getting them engaged in it, I use the soccer because we're on the pitch already. So once we're there, it's much easier to get them to comprehend with everything else and they learn something. So what I'm noticing is that what I'm doing as new people come into the community, they hear the word of mouth and they all keep joining. To to the extent that I even started a, a, a league that we're playing. We started off with six teams now. We just ended it in November. And the hope is to continue because what happens is that it brings most of the youth together and it teaches them about working together, team sport, um, sportsmanship. It, it gives them the opportunity to also network because they know that there are different people there who are in different areas in their life that they could go to for advice. I had people who would come to me who I need help with resume or cover letter. I've gone through the New York City process where I've done middle school, I've done high school, I've done college. And I know how the resources are not deployed evenly. You know, when you go to Manhattan, 
is completely different from when you come to the Bronx. So I use that access that I have to help them and guide them through the system. Bobby, I'm not sure if you're aware of all the programs that we have uh, that are being run by our New York City uh, football club in the city and in the Bronx. I'll get to that in, in a little while, but um, let's make sure that we uh, get you connected to the club uh, after this podcast if you're not already connected with them. Uh, so I'm the Executive Vice President and Chief Diversity Officer for Major League Soccer. Uh, I'm the, the league's first uh, chief, uh, chief diversity officer. Uh, the league made a series of commitments to um, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion after the murder of George Floyd. One of those commitments was uh, to hire a chief diversity officer, and so I'm honored to be the first in the league's uh, history. Certainly won't be the last. I grew up in New York City. Uh, I was born in uh, Champaign, Illinois, at the University of Illinois. My father was one of the first 500 uh, black students from across the country. Uh, both my sister and I were born uh, in Champaign and then moved back uh, to Jamaica, Queens, uh, when we were four and five, respectively. My dad, being one of 16 kids, we had a big, grandparents had a big house, uh, but there were four of us, me, my, my sister, my father, my mother, who shared a, a one room in the house for, uh, for many years until we moved into our own, uh, into our own apartment. And so uh, growing up uh, in the 70s and 80s, uh, there wasn't a lot of exposure to uh, to the sport of soccer uh, for me, and certainly not for uh, the community that I was familiar with. And so it was more uh, traditional sports of basketball, football, and baseball. My experience to soccer, you know, at the time was really through the lens of Pele, so a brown person on the screen who was tearing it up. And like sports stars across the industry, I looked up to as, an, as a role model. Um, I came to soccer because the commissioner, uh, he was running events and marketing at the time, and I was a young uh, sports marketing um, executive, 25 years old when I started there. We were able to develop um, a relationship. He quickly became a mentor of mine. We've stayed in touch over the years. Uh, really speaks to the power of and the importance of building uh, relationships because you never know where uh, one conversation, one relationship could lead you. Um, and so that was my introduction to, uh, to soccer, particularly at the major league level. Uh, the commissioner gave me a call and uh, wanted to know if I'd be interested in taking on this charge on behalf of the league. Um, and, I was, uh, and I was thrilled to, to do so. Uh, let's take a moment to reflect here on uh, the name of Bobby's organization, Dare to Dream. We're just uh, coming off of um, uh, Martin Luther King's 93rd uh, birthday, acknowledge and reflect on the importance of Dr. King and his impact that he had on the country, and quite frankly, uh, uh, the, the amount of work that still remains to, uh, to be done, not just in this city, but uh, in our country, and as Dr. King would say, uh, in the world house of creating uh, a beloved uh, community, a beloved community where uh, people are treated with dignity and respect and kindness and fairness. And as part of Major League Soccer, uh, one of our uh, primary uh, objectives within our mission uh, is to create a beloved soccer community where if you are a professional player or if you play in one of our uh, youth programs, uh, that you uh, can and should uh, expect to be treated with dignity and respect, uh, quality and, uh, and fairness. And that goes from uh, our players to our coaches and our coaches to, uh, to our staff, both at the league and our, at the club level. You mentioned mentorship, Shola, uh, which is so vitally important. You mentioned current events. Uh, are there parts of exposure that you think are most vital for the, the people that you're engaged in, especially in seeing you know, Black people play soccer in the United States of America. 
what impact do you think that has on your communities and, and what do you think about just the whole concept of exposure being helpful for getting people to see what can possible for their future? Well, the, the exposure gives them an opportunity. It lets them know that they're not preconditioned to the communities that they live in only. Because what's happening is that they are around the same people and they go to the same community schools. And at the end, when they graduate, they end up working at, let's say, McDonald's or the coffee shop where their friend works at. And in their mind, they think that that's the best that they can get. In New York City, when it comes to, let's say, high school sports, which gives them a way to figure out who they are rather than them staying in the same environment. But if they have the access to go to other places, it opens up their mind. I have guys who constantly want to go to New York City FC games. There are times where tickets are provided for me from the bar president's office, whether it's five or 10, I end up giving it to them. And no matter how late it is, it, it, the game could have like, let's say 10, 15 minutes left, they will still go to the game. So it's just the opportunity that they need. And as Shola was talking, he brought up something about diversity. And the funny part is that that's exactly what I do with the city. My job is to make sure that women and minorities are getting their fair share of contracts doing business with the city of New York. So when he mentioned that, I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's the same thing I'm doing with the city as well. But it all comes down to opportunities. And I think that, you know, where we live in the underserved community, the opportunities don't trigger down. So most of the kids don't see it as there's a bigger world out there for them. The chances of a, a New York City high school getting recruited to go play in a D1 school is less than 1%. Why? Because soccer is not promoted. So Bobby, you mentioned about having opportunity and folks want opportunities. And I think the people that you engage don't just think about getting, they also think about giving and you teach people how to give. Can you tell a little bit about during the pandemic, some of the outreach that your program has done to support the broader community? Yes. Yeah, so during the pandemic, what, you know, my organization have been doing with assistance from some of the guys that I play soccer with that we've been doing food drives. Well, and, and I call it pop-up food drive because I don't stay in just one location. I go in different locations of the Bronx to do the food drive. I actually just did one yesterday at uh, Tracy Towers, which has over, I'll say, 3,000 residents. And 80% of them are Africans. The issue with that is the Africans need access, but because of them not knowing the resources that are out there for them, they don't know how to go. So I take the food to them. And since the pandemic happened, I've been doing food drives, giving out PPEs to them, um, conducting soccer clinics for some of the kids whose parents just want them to be active. So that's what we've been doing since the pandemic happened. Shola, can you say some of the things that Major League Soccer does besides soccer that you think are really important for community and helping folks see what's possible? Sure, sure. And, uh, but first, first, I want to acknowledge you know, some of the points that, uh, that Bobby is raising, particularly as it relates to opportunities and to access. Access is essential, right, for an organization like Major League Soccer to be able to be in a position to break down 
uh, barriers to access the sport uh, is essential for us to do. It's something that we're always thinking about. One of the big barriers, for example, is uh, pay to play. Um, uh, transportation is another one. And so we've been thinking through a variety of different ways that, um, and successfully, I, I might add, uh, where we can uh, bring uh, soccer to where, uh, to where people are at. You know, Bobby mentioned uh, NYCFC. Uh, which which just uh, won um, uh, MLS Cup. I see is really um, uh, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch, um, uh, doing everything that it can to be a good community partner. Uh, they're in a, a collaboration with uh, the New York City uh, Soccer Initiative, uh, which is a $3 million public-private partnership between uh, NYCFC, the U.S. Soccer Foundation, uh, our partner Adidas, uh, Ithiad Airways, and the Mayor's Fund to advance uh, New York City. Uh, and what uh, this initiative uh, has done so far is they have built 50 mini soccer pitches uh, in all uh, five boroughs, uh, which offer free programming for children that are focused on promoting healthy eating, um, active living, and mentorship. Uh, so far, that partnership has impacted over 10,000 kids. Uh, the 50th mini pitch uh, was just installed this past November at PS 184. Um, and the club has committed to an additional 26 uh, mini pitches throughout New York City leading up to the 2026 uh, World Cup. Uh, the partnership uh, is also launching a brand new Community Cup, is what they're calling it. Uh, it's a five-on-five tournament that will bring uh, young kids uh, together from all five boroughs to compete. Uh, it will be an event that will be held this spring and run over three uh, consecutive weekends. It's going to include free coaching clinics, free refereeing courses, skills clinics, uh, with the goal of uh, promoting uh, participation, access, and, uh, and, inclusive, and inclusivity. And it will culminate with a knockout uh, tournament. And so there will be the first ever NYCSI, the New York Soccer uh, Initiative Community Cup. It is amazing the, um, the diaspora, you know, the, the history of, of blackness uh, that comes from Africa is expressed in current day United States of America as we're thinking about Black History Month. And then we're thinking about the future and it, it represents a lot of different backgrounds and cultures and ways that folks have come to the United States of America and soccer is an expression uh, across all of those different um, groups of, of people of African descent um, that come from all these spaces and it's been a unifier and in the United States. Soccer hasn't always been seen as something that, you know, black people have participated in, but it is great to see it as a force for good and community uh, moving forward. Um, Shola, can you speak a little bit about your role and being, um, you know, a black man in, in this work and, and what do you think it means and what do you think it represents? Sure, sure. Thank you. And I think, you know, the fact that it's Black History Month, I just want to draw our attention to the very rich soccer um, history that Black Americans have contributed to uh, to soccer. I didn't know, and recently found out after I after I started in this role, and about I'm about a year in, that Howard University, a traditionally historically Black college and university, won a uh, NCAA Division One championship. In fact, had one of the uh, premier uh, clubs in the early 70s under Coach Lincoln Phillips. There are several players, former players now, who are working on a, a movie to depict the richness of, of Howard University's soccer program. And I encourage everybody to, to do some research and read a little bit more about black impact on, on soccer. Uh, currently uh, within Major League Soccer, 
of our player pool identified as black and or African-American. So 25% uh, is the third largest population um, uh, within the soccer, our, our professional soccer players. Latino uh, players currently represent 30% uh, uh, of our player pool. And so what we spent some time on this year uh, is to review our version of the Rooney Rule. And for those of you who are not familiar, in 2003, uh, the National Football League instituted a policy named after the owner of the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, the Rooney Rule, uh, to uh, diversify the head coaching ranks. And so uh, Major League Soccer instituted its own version of a rule, 2007. And this year, we took a look at that. Uh, wanted to make sure that it was reflective of the current environment in which we were operating in, that it was uh, representative of what our stated objectives um, uh, were. And uh, we made some enhancements and modifications to the policy uh, this year to um, include uh, not just one uh, candidate from an underrepresented group being uh, interviewed, but two. And uh, one of those candidates needed to be Black and or African-American. And that was important because we wanted to distinguish between uh, diversity and equity. Uh, a lot of my work is about bringing equity to, uh, to Major League Soccer so that there is an equitable voice uh, and representation of how uh, decisions are made, how policies are created. And so uh, the goal would be to uh, have our coaching uh, ranks uh, reflective of our player ranks. And so uh, currently 30% of our head coaches are uh, Latino and 30% of our player pool is Latino. And so we'd like to see the numbers for black coaches move in that direction. It's currently at 10%. And so we view that as an opportunity. Um, I'm the, uh, the first senior black executive in the league's 26-year history at the league office. Uh, I think that's important because it uh, signifies representation to create an opportunity for others to see that it's possible for them, uh, that somebody who looks like them, who might come from similar background to them, is able to um, uh, create some space for them to have a seat at the table. And that's what we try to do. And so um, I take mentorship seriously. I try to give the people who work in our organization an opportunity to amplify their voice, um, uh, to, to be aware that they're here to have uh, an impact, not just in their day-to-day -day jobs, but how we shape and mold uh, the culture of, of Major League Soccer going forward, not just for black folks, but for all um, uh, members of the LGBTQ community, gender diversity, as well as racial diversity. But that's incredible, um, creating a seat at the table. Um, one of the ways that Bobby got a seat at the table was he applied for a grant for a citizens committee and was able to get it to support his work. Bobby, can you talk about taking your shot at getting a seat at the table by applying for funding? I kept hesitating because in my head, I'm like, yeah, what happens is that the grassroots organizations don't really get awarded the last minute. That's when I'm like, let me just go for it. And I was awarded and I was actually shocked. I was like, wow. So when I got it, they had a, a day of action. And we organized a food drive at Tracy Towers by Marshula Parkway, which turned out to be a really great event. A lot of the tenants in that building were very appreciative because this was during a pandemic and a lot of them were struggling. And majority of them were African. You know, one, pride gets in the way. But when it's brought to them and they see their neighbors in the same line as them, they are more comfortable. So I wanted to get food that they're used to eating, yams, plantain, you know, rice, oil. So the grant played a major role as to how I kept moving forward with the food drive. Amazing. Um, 
it's important to folks know that they create history uh, when they step up and act in the moment and generations will tell the story about leaders that stepped up that try to provide assistance when people um, needed it to make better communities. So as we wrap up, you know, Shola would love for you to just share some of your last thoughts about New York City, people coming together and, and what you're hopeful for. And Bobby, I'd love for you to share on, on the same topic. Thank you for that. You know, I think that we are in a uh, an inflection point, not just here in our city, but in our uh, in our country and around the world. You know, listening to uh, some of the uh, ceremonies, the call to action was it starts with me, right? That it starts with uh, with each of us. That a lot of times we look at how we can start to change systems, and systemic change is essential. Um, but when we talk about community, each of us participates and has a role in community. The importance of treating thy neighbor as we treat ourselves. The importance of extending a helping hand to those who uh, may be uh, in need, whether that's um, bringing them food or whether it's just listening to some of the things that, that they're navigating through. Each of us can, can do our part in bringing our community to a place that's more kind and more accepting and more just and more loving and more safe than it was for the generation that was before us. And so I'm hopeful that uh, if each of us looks in the mirror and looks within our soul to see what we bring to, to, to each and every interaction, uh, I'm confident that uh, we can build a more just and more humane uh, society uh, and community one relationship at a time. It always starts uh, with one, one important relationship, one introduction one conversation. And that's what I, I try to instill in my children. I have three boys. That's what um, I try to instill in them is that uh, each of us can have a lasting impact uh, in somebody's life just by the way that we treat, uh, that we treat other people. So that, that's, that's my hope. That's my aspiration. I hope that that is not viewed as naive. And I'm really speaking from the power uh, and the potency of uh, love and the belief that love genuinely um, uh, can conquer all. Not love that's a romantic love, but love that's rooted uh, in a sense of uh, a deep uh, interconnectedness and humanity. The love, the agape love that uh, Dr. Uh, King spoke uh, so powerfully uh, and so authentic, uh, authentically about. Abby, talk to us about hope. With New York City, New York City is a melting pot where there are a lot of different people that speak different languages. New York City is like a soccer team where we see we speak different languages but somehow we're able to come together and work together as one the same way that the can march with different people from different backgrounds and had the speech and the speech wasn't just for only blacks but we had whites over there too so it's a combination of of, of all of that and new york city you know as time goes on we're coming together an example of this is when there was a fire in the Bronx um, where a lot of immigrants passed away. This brought together not only the community of the Bronx, but people from afar. We had people driving from Long Island. They were actually shocked that they were able to raise the amount of money that they were able to raise. You know, When it comes to New York City, yeah, we all speak different languages. We all being there for each other and as time goes on as and the city opens up i think things will open up for everyone and with 
the racial injustice is going on and now I see that there's a lot of push on diversity, which is great because that's something that's needed in New York City. It, it needs to reflect the people that live in it. And I think as time goes on, everything will fold together.